Philippians chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow on the screen. It's the question posed, how are we as believers sharing the message? How are we sharing the gospel? First Thessalonians 1. It's the letter Paul wrote to the early church in Thessalonica. To the church of Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all you do, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy and from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but the word of the Lord, but that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we do not need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Paul wrote this letter to a young church in Thessalonica. He had passed through there about a year earlier, and according to the text, he spent three Sabbath days, so roughly three weeks, in the synagogues sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. For some within that group, lives were changed, and through God, through those believers, a church was planted. We can take away from Paul's letter a description of what our gospel is and a natural flow for a believer or a follower of Christ. One, the gospel comes to you. Secondly, the gospel works in you. And third, the gospel must flow from you. The gospel is received, the gospel redirects, and the gospel out. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where we can join together in fellowship, take to heart your word. Lord, it's my prayer that you will clear our minds and our thoughts and soften our hearts to embrace the truth found here in your message and that we will take this message and, and, and study, embrace it, make it our own and apply it to our lives as we go out into this world. In Lord Jesus Christ's precious name I pray, amen. So again, First Thessalonians beginning with verse 5. Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, for the, excuse me, but in every place that your faith in God has rang out. Therefore, we do not need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols. 
to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So taking a moment to look at verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only. What is Paul saying here? What he's saying is the gospel did not come to them in only in word, but something else attached. The gospel doesn't come in word only. There is a message here that we must use our voices, but our lives, and to tell other people. This is called the Great Commission. Go into all the world and share or preach the gospel. Not just to those you are comfortable with, not just to your friends, not just to those you think will listen, but to all. Even when you're talking to ones who claim to already know the truth. So we see here, the gospel is more than just words. It must be spoken. It must be shared. It must be lived. I've been reading a lot lately on, on, on Charles Spurgeon. I mean, just it, amazing. If, if you haven't, just go in. It, it's, it'll, it'll really pull at the heartstrings. But Spurgeon was once quoted in saying, we are to seek our neighbor's conversion because we love him. We are to speak to him in loving terms, God's loving gospel. So the message came to the Thessalonians both in the lips and from the example of Paul together. It came to them in word, but not in word only. Verse 5 continuing. But also in power in the Holy Spirit and as much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. What Paul is saying here is that what you heard from us was convincing. But what you saw in us, man. The message and the messenger were one and the same. The testimony of their words were backed up by the testimony of their lives. Word, example. It is often said, people will follow our footsteps quicker than they will follow our advice. We are not perfect, but we need to share the gospel with our lips and let our lives reflect the message in a way pleasing to God and for His glory, not our own. Pastor Skip Heisig is credited with saying, if we witness with our lips and not with our lives, that is hypocrisy. But if we witness with our lives and not with our lips, that is cruelty. It is like being someone who has the disease cured by medicine and not telling any of the other patients how to get better. The old saying goes, practice what you preach. So what is the gospel according to you? People hear what you say. People watch what you do. What is your testimony? How has Jesus changed your life? So we've established here how the gospel comes out, how it's received. Now the gospel begins to work in us or redirect our heart, our thoughts, and our actions. Changes begin taking place. Follow with me verses 6 through 10. And you yourselves became imitators of us and, and of the Lord when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every other place your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. You turn to God from idols to serve the true God to wait for his son from heaven, whom raised from the dead, Jesus, Jesus, 
Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. So the gospel came to them, the gospel was received by them, and the gospel began to work through them. There was a conversion. Verse 9. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Repentance. You turned away, they turned away from their sin. They began trusting in Jesus. They were not perfect, but they came in contact with the living God. And when that contact is made, changes begin to happen. Now a converted life will lead to an anticipation. Verse 10. And to wait, and to wait for his son from heaven. If you know Jesus, if you are a true follower of Jesus, if you are saved, you will have the faith in Jesus. And there's a love and an anticipation that swells because you can't wait to see him. That happens at conversion. We have a conversion and, and we have an anticipation. Now there must be a submission. Verse 6. And you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord. We often say, don't follow me. Follow the Lord. What Paul is saying here, follow me as I follow the Lord. My life isn't perfect, but I'm trying to mimic Jesus, submitting to his authority. And here, this is how our lives have been changed because of it. If you want to make a difference in this world, if you want to make an impact, share the gospel. Share the good news with people. Let others see what God has done in your lives. We can all have causes, but if we really want to have an impact on this world, share God's truth. Let your life be a reflection of your testimony. Another thing that happens when a person receives the Lord, there's a celebration. Verse, verse 6. In spite of severe persecution, again, in spite of severe persecution, you welcome the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Perse persecution and joy are compacted here in the same statement. We, we think we can't have joy during hard and pressing circumstances. The word of God was at work in the Thessalonian Christians as evidenced by their enduring, enduring faith during their persecution. Persecution, just as Paul, the prophets, even Jesus Christ were persecuted by the Jews. What Paul is saying here is man... Things are bad. Things are tough. But man, you've got it good. This is because of what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. The gospel always arouses hostility to unbelievers because it encounters humanistic pride. But the gospel always produces joy because it replaces that pride when there is repentance. Verse 7. As a result... You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Paul is telling them here how their conversion and the work that the Lord has done in their hearts and in their lives and that their testimonies are now examples to other people who are watching and those who are willing to listen. So how does the gospel work? It comes to us, it works in us, and it must flow from us. The gospel has been received, the gospels began redirecting, and now the gospel must radiate. Again, verse 8.
For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Simply put, the early church mentioned here was comprised of saved souls, yearning to see more souls saved. Yearning to see more souls saved. Notice here it doesn't say yearning to save more souls. They recognize the one and true God. They recognize the salvation of Jesus. We're to share the gospel. We're not going to change anybody's heart. But we're to share. We're, we're to deliver the message. We're to live our lives in a way honoring the Lord, glorifying the Lord, the changes that he's done, the work that he's done in our hearts. They didn't stop and say, well, I'm going to heaven. I'm good. I'm done. They shared the gospel. So what is the gospel or good news, as we so regularly put it? It's a message from God saying, this is how you can be saved from my judgment through my son, Jesus Christ. The word Christ itself means anointed one, which is referring to the act of anointing of a king with oil when he is crowned. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus is king. When Jesus began his public ministry, he told his people, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus died on the cross, the awful weight of our sins fell upon his shoulders. The sentence of eternal death God pronounced against us, us rebellious sinners, struck. Jesus died for you and for me. And for all. But the story didn't end there. Jesus the crucified is no longer dead. The Bible tells us that he rose from the grave. Jesus' rising from the grave was God's way of saying Jesus claimed what Jesus claimed about who he is and what he came to do is true. What does God expect us to do with the information that Jesus died in our place so that we can be saved from God's righteous wrath against our sins? He expects us to respond with repentance, with faith, and with submission. Faith is reliance. It's a promise founded in the trust of the risen Jesus to save us from our sins. If God is to ever count us righteous, he'll have to do it solely based on someone else's record. The only one qualified to stand in as our substitute. And that's what happens when a person is saved by Jesus. All of our sins are credited to Jesus, who took the punishment for them. And the perfect righteousness of Jesus is then credited, credited back to us when we place our faith and trust in what he has done for us. To rely on Jesus, to trust in him alone, to stand in our place and win a righteous verdict from God on Judgment Day. Earlier this week, Chad, I believe it was Thursday or Friday, had reposted a, a meme or something on Facebook, and I copied that down, and I don't have the original source for where it came from, but it, it, it struck me. And it said, I'd rather have 200 passionate, engaged, active church members than 2,000 unmoved, disengaged, inactive attendees. The 2,000 may fill seats, but the 200 change a city. As the text has shown us this morning, to these mentioned Thessalonian believers in Paul's letter. The gospel came to them, the gospel worked in them, and the gospel was proclaimed and rang out from them. The small gathering of believers became a scattered community of proclaimers. Jesus said, I am the way, 
I am the truth and I am the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I am a truth, I am a way, I am a life. He said, I am the truth, I am the life. A few months ago, I had stepped down as the youth leader here. Uh, as you know, Wes is uh, taking over. I don't even think he's in here right now. But one of the last studies we did together with the youth, we, we were doing it on unrighteousness and, and things that we can pervert into good things that we can pervert into unrighteous things. And I said, what would be an example of this? You know, and it, it's, that's a loaded question. Two, simultaneously, and I'm not going to embarrass them here, they said, go to church. I said, what do you mean by that? They said, well, just because you go to church, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. So what were they saying here? What was the heart of that? People mistakenly trust in a false hope that they can be good enough to go to heaven. Many believe that if they keep the law and their good deeds outweigh the bad, well, they're in. This is foolish, and I'm sorry, this is a false hope. Our only hope is to repent, turn to God, and trust in Him and promise of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, period. We know we live in a society where there's a label for everything. We've got acronyms, pronouns. If you want to be a Christmas tree, guess what? Here you go. Here's your symbol. You know, I, I, I could put a cool symbol on my chest and say, you know, I run around rooftops at night beating up bad guys. That doesn't make Batman. I mean, I'm short, I'm stubby. It just doesn't work like that. But what are, you, what are you identifying as? What is your testimony? Years ago, you know, when Ashley and I first got married, we fought like cats. No, cats and dogs looked at when are they going to stop fighting? Ashley grew up here. Ashley was from here. Her whole world was here. I, I left Florida when I was 18. I was in the military. I traveled around. So, you know, I was like a nomad. We get married. I move her and Josh up to Nashville, Tennessee. And if you like heavy traffic, if you like sitting there for hours on end to go two miles, go to Nashville. It's great. But the point is, we fought and we fought and we fought. We weren't living for God. We were selfish. We were living for ourselves. There was one morning, it's funny now, but really it speaks to the heart of the matter and where my heart was. Ashley was leaving for work, and she messaged me, can you bring my lunch downstairs? Now, we had this small little two-bedroom apartment right outside downtown Nashville. It was terrible. Uh, so I brought her lunch. Now, we had been fighting all morning. I could have done the right thing and just said, here's your lunch. Have a good day. No, I opened it up, and I ensued a full-on food fight in the parking lot. Josh, but here, here's why I'm talking about this. Josh is young enough to remember a time, or old, excuse me, he's old enough to remember a time when our house wasn't right. We knew who God was, but we didn't submit to his will. As we began studying the word together, going to church together, it hit us, growing at different levels, but it struck us. We were saved. We turned to Jesus. We, we repented. I'm living wrong. And, and, and through that salvation, through, through that conversion, we argue. People are going to argue. 
but we don't fight anymore. There's a peace in the house, a calmness, something that Kenzie may or may not remember, but man, what a testimony of what God can do in someone's lives. And, and I hope I didn't embarrass her too much with sharing that. <laughs> so how does being, a, being or doing good reflect God's law? If we go to Romans 3 for a moment, verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So then why did God give us the law? He gave us the law so we know how, how much we fall short of it. We can look at it like this. The law is like your bathroom scale. It does nothing for us to help us lose the weight, but it shows us how much weight we have to lose, some of us more than others. The scale can't do anything but be used as a measuring stick to see where we are at. The law given to us in the Old Testament is similar in that way, to be used as a point of reference. We can't measure up, but there is one who does. The only way that we can be given, forgiven of our sin is to receive and acknowledge what Jesus did on the cross when he paid that penalty and died for our shortcomings. Now, I'm going to uh, slip into youth leader mode for a minute, and I'm probably going to embarrass a few of the kids. But uh, before I do, I, I'm going to ask, uh, can we put Malachi 3 on the screen, please? And I'm going to invite the band up. But before we close in song, uh, Chad also uh, wanted to address the congregation. But I want to I share with this uh, Malachi 3. But kids need to be engaged. This is the next generation of Christians. These are the ones carrying up the mantle. All right, so without embarrassing you guys, how many books are in the Bible? How many are in the Old Testament? How many are in the New Testament? Malachi, here's something new to learn. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. This in itself is a whole other message. I will send my messenger believe it, talking about John the Baptist here. Who will prepare the way before me? Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant. Who's the messenger of the covenant? Jesus Christ, his second coming. There's a chief point here. Who can endure the day of Christ's coming? We've been studying Revelation. There's a lot of back and forth as to what different uh, symbolism is there, timing. But there's one, one principle we, you have to agree on. Only those who are in Christ, only those who have embraced God's work through Jesus Christ on the cross, only those who are sealed by the blood of the Lamb. So I ask you, are we fishing? Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Are we sharing the gospel? Are we sharing the essence of what it means to be a born-again believer? It's not a person that does things that are perceivably good, but a person 
who is accepted and submitted to the one who is truly good. Thank you. Chad? I, uh, I can promise you I'm not going to preach because I ain't got nothing to say. But what I will tell you is this. I got a call on Tuesday night that said, Chad, chill out. We got this. Boy, did y'all ever have it. I'm honored to stand up here and thank you for the leadership and for the congregation for stepping up for your prayers. Justin, thank you for the word, brother. It's all about the gospel. Thank you. I want you to remember one thing, and I'm going to sit down. A church is not successful based on its seating capacity. A church is based on its success by its sending capacity. Let's pray.